one person specifically told me that they actually had to almost stand a person up, like buckle them into the table and almost stand them up just to get cloths out. Hey, my friends, I've been waiting to do this report for a long time. Have you seen those reports in, they were part of um, movies and, and things we've seen, never in the mainstream media though, embalmers talking about blood clots, post-vaccine, seemingly related to the vaccine, massive blood clots they've never seen before, this fibrous stuff. The problem is you don't see it on the mainstream media at all. It's such huge news, you'd think that it would be everywhere, but it's nowhere. So then, can you really trust it? That's always been a hard question. And at LifeSite, we always try and give you what is the truth. We always try and verify. But for a long time, we couldn't. Until now. We've been able to get to a funeral director that we know, who is faithful, who is actually a graduate of Christendom College, and uh, she was able to corroborate this for us, these blood clots, massive blood clots that are going on in being seen in cadavers post-vaccination, etc. In addition, she was able to corroborate, as a funeral director, the massive spike in miscarriages uh, during the rollout of the vaccine. In addition, uh, Antonia Cummings, this funeral director, is going to talk to us about how to deal properly with burial, burial of your loved ones. And in today's day and age, you have a lot of people who their children aren't practicing faith anymore, don't want to even have a funeral, don't want to have a proper burial. What do you do about that? Can you ensure that? Yes, you can. And uh, there's some amazing points here. Finally, a situation that I've sadly experienced myself is where a hospital, uh, after a miscarriage, won't give you the body of your baby back for burial. They say, no, 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 it's bio hazardous biomedical waste, as a doctor, no kidding, told my wife, and we had to fight to get the body of our baby back for burial. So this is an amazing show because Antonia Cummings, funeral director, faithful Catholic, is going to share all of that with us and more. Stay tuned for this episode of The John Henry Weston Show. Hello, friends. To celebrate the momentous overturning of Roe v. Wade, we at LifeSite have minted just under 10,000 of these brand new limited edition pro-life silver rounds. Now, each round is stamped with the image of the Supreme Court of the United States featuring the date that the High Court delivered this historic victory. And on the front of our pure silver rounds, LifeSite's logo surrounded by a brilliant sunburst and draped with olive branches. They, of course, commemorate our 25-year anniversary of LifeSite News. We began in 1997 in September, so September of 2022 was 25 years. These one ounce silver rounds are available from our partners at stjosephspartners.com where you can fulfill all of your silver and gold needs in this perilous time. May God bless you. Antonia Cummings, welcome to the program. Thank you so much for having me, John Henry. I really appreciate you taking the time to speak with me today. Praise God. Let's begin as we always do at the sign of the cross. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. So, Tony, a young lady like yourself involved in this business, what many people would call macabre, what in the world got you into being a funeral director? Um, so I originally was had never 
had any intention of becoming a funeral director. I was actually looking into becoming a registered nurse while getting my theology degree at Christendom College. And um, it was my sophomore year where I had the experience of losing two friends in my age group. They weren't Christendom students, but we had worked together through high school and had remained close. They would even come visit me on campus sometimes. And um, they were both very sudden deaths, things that are true acts of God, not really understandable in the moment, but their deaths really impacted me in a good way um, because attending their funerals is really where I felt a calling to become a funeral director. And it's really the only time in my life where I can honestly say I felt like I heard the Holy Spirit as people will say they feel like they hear the Holy Spirit talk to them. And I always kind of wondered what that would be like, but it was just extremely clear to me that that's what I was called to do. So I was very blessed to actually get to ask the funeral director who took care of my friends if I could shadow him and he was kind enough to let me do that and really um, made me understand that this is not just a job it's a ministry and a way of life and that it was going to be hard but if I loved it and really loved the people I'd be taking care of that it would be very rewarding and he was right about all those things um so I've been in the funeral business now for about eight years or ministry as I call it and um I never looked back from sophomore year of college with this as my goal so I graduated and 10 days later was in mortuary school um, and people say you can't use your theology degree in the world, but it actually transferred right into mortuary school and, um, actually cut a whole year off of my education. So it wow. made the process very simple and I use it every day. So I'm very thankful to have that liberal arts background with theology being the main focus and applying that to funeral directing today. Amazing. So who would have thought that you're now chosen profession would be so controversial. Uh, we are in the midst of a place where the church even is giving strange advice to people. I'd like to get into that first because it's so controversial nowadays, this mm -hmm. issue of being recommended to cremate rather than bury. And I know there's church teaching on that that I'd love you to give us because this is so frequent nowadays. It's priests telling people, oh, we don't want to pollute the environment. So, you know, cremation is so much more um, friendly to the environment. What's the actual church teaching? The actual church teaching is that it is allowed, but it is not the preferred method for final disposition. And the reasons behind it not being the preferred method of final disposition are some people might say immediately, oh, like, because it's a pagan practice or because um, it's not something that happened to Christ himself when he died, he wasn't cremated. And those are true things that, that those are traditional aspects of why we don't prefer cremation. But there are actually a lot of other reasons why the church in its wisdom specifically says it's the second of the two options, essentially. And um, I've come into contact with those reasons in a very intimate way, many times being in the career I'm in. So I'd be happy to kind of go over some of those things with you if you like. Um, Please. Okay. So um, one of the things about cremation that is often disputed is that, okay, it's, it's green according to the public or um, more affordable. 
And really, as studies have been coming out more and more, it's really not as good for the environment as people are saying, which is, of course, shocking, right? I mean, why would we um, not be excited about tons of heat being put out into the world right now when people are arguing that global warming is such an issue? Um, it produces a lot of heat, and it really is not as affordable as people may think it it is initially um, because it's starting to go up in price as more and more people select cremation to offsite costs that funeral homes incur no matter what cremation is going to continue to go up so it'll eventually end up being the same price as burial um the church in its wisdom says that if you are cremated that you should be permanently placed in a grave somewhere not only so that people can remember to pray for the dead and visit their loved ones um, but it's actually very practical because a lot of people, when they choose cremation, um, it's very easy to go through the grieving process and then just kind of step away from the situation and just separate yourself completely from the loss. A lot of people aren't handling their grief very well these days, um, probably from a lack of connection to our Lord and their faith and, and just hope in general. But also it's just, it's just really easy with cremation. You can, have the cremation take place and maybe you don't have the money yet for the cemetery property. So it's easy to just leave your loved one's ashes at the funeral home for an indefinite period of time. So my experience is that we have um, shelves upon shelves and cages and safes full of urns that sometimes people don't claim for years. And a lot of the time we can't get a hold of family after a certain period of time. And we're stuck with um, many unclaimed people so I, I think it's very amazing that the church prudently understands that it would be very easy for people to just um, forget about their loved ones after they're cremated and leave them behind. And um, eventually to people who end up taking their own home, but never end up buying a cemetery plot, what ends up happening is they have multiple family members that have been in their homes and they pass away themselves and the grandchildren don't remember grandma and grandpa or aunt and uncle so-and-so and they don't know what to do with these urns so a lot of times when the estate sale happens or the um, storage unit gets cleaned out those urns end up in a landfill so um, i've actually been part of some funeral director projects where we've actually been able to recover some urns from landfills but it's really very sad the this entire generation of people that have essentially been lost um, because they're not placed somewhere that is dignified or a place to honor their genealogy and their family heritage and it's um it's just it's just sad to see that people are not respecting the dead the way they used to and I think cremation that makes that makes it just so simple to not have to think about it or respect the dead. So one of the other issues that you deal with is something that impacted my life. Um, today, many hospitals that you would go to for help when you're having a pregnancy or miscarriage, the doctors, some of them abortionists, or at least they mm -hmm. perform abortions, they don't regard the child in the womb as a child. So my wife was in the situation where we had a child who was lost in miscarriage, and she asked the doctor for the body of the baby, and he refused. Mm -hmm. He says it's uh, biomedical waste, and, uh, you know, it's hazardous. 
so you can't have it. And so we had to go through a sort of fight for the body of our child back and so on. And eventually it was agreed to after they could do whatever investigation they had to do. But many parents are going through this nowadays. And uh, you help parents navigate through those waters. What do you do? Um, that's an issue that I've been running into in particular. Very, It's been a lot lately. Um, we've had a lot of families, especially Catholic families, who've suffered um, a lot of miscarriages recently. I'm very sorry that you and your wife have been through that experience, unfortunately. Um, one of my friends recently had a miscarriage, and the hospital was saying the same thing. They weren't going to give the baby back, and the baby was still in the room in a container, um, by the bedside and the father called me and said, I just ran out of the hospital with my baby. What do I do now? <laughs> because he was worried that they were just going to take the baby off and not give the baby back. So I ended up being able to help them, um, get all the necessary documentation to be able to have their baby buried at a cemetery because you need, um, it's not considered a death certificate when a baby passes away. Um, if they have not taken a breath, um, it's considered a fetal demise certificate. And in these cases, a lot of the times doctors are unwilling to fill those out because they're not willing to state that um, this is indeed a baby that deserves to have rights of burial. So um, I'm able to, at least in Virginia and D.C., do what's called a manual fetal death certificate and um, get that filed with the local health department and be able to make it so that the, these families can bury their babies in a public cemetery. Um, I've gone up to bat for a number of families with hospitals that are withholding a baby from the family and been able to get the necessary release to go and take these babies into my care. Um, I've gone into the delivery room and taken the baby myself if that made the hospital more comfortable with the situation. It really just depends on the hospital and the, the staff member at the time, essentially. Um, but it is perfectly legal to take your baby's remains home and do whatever it is that you would like to do because um, since there's no death certificate, a lot of the legal process is not as difficult as if they had taken a breath and then you have to go through a death certificate process through a funeral home. So um, one of my ministries that I like to do a lot is to help families figure out what they can do or what they can afford um, for their baby to be buried. You can have your baby buried in your own yard um, at a church property. Um, there just aren't as many legal issues with um, burying a baby that has a fetal certificate versus a death certificate. So um, that's something that priests reach out to me all the time for families who are at hospitals going through these battles. Now, you give talks at seminaries for priests to be able to understand um, what it is they need to know. What what do you cover there with them? <clears throat> um, so I was recently able to go to St. Charles Borromeo Seminary in Philadelphia, which was an amazing experience. They have um, 14 seminarians that are being ordained this year, and um, the rector was kind enough to have me. So what I did was I put together a book for them with terminology that they're going to find useful um, when they come into contact with families who've either already experienced a loss or they've been called to give last rites to someone. And I wanted them to have that terminology just because they're going to run into a lot of things that maybe they haven't heard about, like water cremation or um, 
heat cremation or a grave liner or caskets, whatever it is that they're going to have to have people asking them questions about. And I just thought it'd be helpful for them to be familiar with that. And then I specifically put together for them the Catholic version, so to speak, of cremation, where if you are going to have cremation, here are some things you can do um, to make it a little bit more in line with the church's teachings, such as having a wake um, so that people have an opportunity to um, acknowledge a death and acknowledge mortality, be able to see their loved one one last time in the image of God, even if it's not with the likeness, because the souls left the body, um, because I do believe that's very important for people, especially as part of the grieving process to actually identify someone that does not look like themselves as they remember, but actually identify that there is something inherently different about them after they've passed away and their souls left their body and be able to um, start healing in a way that's healthy and take those steps in grief. So encouraging family. Oh, sorry, I'm go sorry, ahead. go ahead. Um, I, a lot of people just don't know that <clears throat> if you have cremation, you can still have a wake with a body present. And a lot of funeral homes offer what's called a rental casket. So you're able to do that fairly affordably and um, then have the funeral mass with the body in the casket present. A lot of Catholics don't realize that a funeral mass is only able to be said one time and the body has to be present. And while you can't have a funeral mass with an urn, you're not able to have the pall placed on an urn, which is the unified symbol of baptism for all baptized Christians. And um, because an urn is not the image of God, it's an urn with ashes in it. You cannot have a pall on an urn. You can only have a pall on a casket with a full body present. So um, I encourage a lot of Catholics to do that. And then, of course, the cremation will have to take place. So you're not going to have a burial right right away, but at least you'll have been able to have that closure from a wake and then a funeral mass with the body present. And then um, down the road, hopefully within a week at the most, um, have an internment with a, with a priest present to bless the grave and um, give the final committal service. Um, so I broke down all the different variations of cremation, like best to worst, essentially for them <laughs> and gave them a rundown of what all of that is. And then I went on to address um, burial rites with a casket and how they're going to come across a lot of families that are going to say that they're not Catholic anymore. And so they really don't need to remember their loved one one last time in a way that just is unsettling that they don't want to have a funeral mass because it will be uncomfortable for them to have to go um, and stay behind while everyone else goes to communion or whatever the um, issue is for them. And I just encourage these priests to remember that not only are we fighting for the soul of the person who's passed away, just like we fight for the unborn children, we are fighting for the souls of people who no longer can speak um, because practicing Catholics deserve to have those funeral rites and those opportunities for people to pray for them. But something that I think we neglect to think about is that this is an opportunity to really evangelize people. Even though we live in a culture of death, um, we don't really meditate on death very much for ourselves. We don't meditate on our mortality and um, meditate on end things. It's just much easier to sweep all of this under the, under the carpet and focus on celebrations of life and parties and things that are kind of flash in the pan fixes for the grief that we're feeling. I'm all for um, a good Irish Catholic wake. 
you can have a big party and um, have a great time. I mean, I encourage in-home wakes with um, people having glasses of wine and toasting the person that's passed on. But there's that element of facing the death head on. Um, you're celebrating their life, but you're acknowledging mortality and you're preparing for the holy rite of a funeral mass. And it's just much more um, full circle wholesome than maybe a celebration of life would be. Mm -hmm. um, I think that sometimes as Catholics, we can maybe think it's all rigid and there's no joy in this. But for me, funerals are incredibly joyful and the rigidity, as they call it, is really in order to help start the healing process. And something that we've all seen is mental illness on the rise <laughs> since COVID. And especially in the funeral ministry, I've seen a lot of people really suffering with mental illnesses, not only from the seclusion that COVID produced, but truly um, an illness of just grief sickness. They, are, they never got over the death. Years later, they're still facing um, this sense of loss. Maybe they didn't get to say goodbye because their their loved one died in the hospital alone, going through all this guilt. Um, they didn't get the support they needed from friends and family after the loss. And they're still to this day um, just not able to cope. I, I unfortunately have recently had a couple of people who lost someone in 2020 and actually just um, lost their own lives from their own hands from just still not being able to cope from the grief. Um, so the unspoken deaths that COVID took are so many of them are just truly depression and, um, all the other things that came from COVID. So I'm very strong believer in the church's teachings for Catholic funeral rites. Um, people like to say all the time that the Catholic church is not in line with science. I beg to disagree because the science shows that people need a grieving process and they need order. And that is, that's proven in all kinds of scientific studies. So I think it's pretty amazing that we have this series of funeral rites, a wake, a funeral mass, a committal, and maybe a reception or some kind of a celebration. But all of those things are in line with a true good step process for healing after a grief. So um, that's, those are some things I covered with seminarians. Um, I went on to all the different ways they can save money um, with burial, especially how to put together your own family cemetery. If you can't afford to buy property at a public cemetery, there are just so many resources to make this affordable. It's just a matter of facing the issue of mortality and being willing to have those conversations as a family and how to make that work for you. Amazing. Um, one of those issues that you mentioned is is very severe today because there are, unfortunately, a, a lot of young people, uh, middle-aged people, whatever, who no longer practice faith and don't see the value, as they might say, in terms of a funeral. Oh, it costs money and uh, we can just, you know, burn the body, get rid of it and uh, not worry about it. No funeral needed. How do parents... Of older children who are themselves, you know, nearing their uh, death, ensure that they get a funeral? No, that's a really great question. And COVID is really what made me start asking that question as well, because a lot of people had essentially a prearrangement um, for funeral services. 
Um, but COVID came and the the kids came in and as next of kin said, we're not doing any of this. We're not doing a wake. We're not doing a funeral mass. We're not doing anything that was even prepaid for. Like money wasn't an issue. They just decided they didn't want to do it. So they broke it all down to a direct cremation. Um, so that really made me start thinking like, what can we do to help protect Catholic families from this situation? And, um, what I ended up deciding to do was to go back to school essentially and become a, not only licensed funeral director, but also licensed insurance agent and start working with an estate lawyer to learn how, what we could do to ensure this would happen for Catholic families. So, so um, depending on the area of the country that you're in, um, there might be some variations, but in Virginia and DC, if you prearrange for your funeral services and you've prepaid them you have an option to make them irrevocable, which means that the money that you've put in has no cash value, it can't be canceled. So there really is no reason not to have the services because the money's either going to be used or it's not. So that's kind of a very simple fix to the issue. Um, another one is that you can actually put together in your will a designation form where people have designated someone who's not maybe a family member, maybe someone who you trust, like a friend. We can't choose our family, but you can choose your friends or even a lawyer if you don't have a good um, friend group that's young enough to be able to handle these things for you. Um, but what I do is I put together these designation forms along with an estate planning lawyer to have someone in place to essentially act as a morality trustee to make sure that these things happen. And um, designation forms are specifically just for rights of disposition, kind of like a medical power attorney is just for your medical power to be able to make decisions on your behalf if you're ill or financial power of attorney on behalf of um, your finances. So a designation form is a really simple and inexpensive fix for that um, the more detail, the better. So if families are able to afford to meet with a good estate planning lawyer, and I would even say a good Catholic estate planning lawyer, um, because they'll actually go over things like, do you want to put money aside to cover memorial masses or Gregorian masses for your soul or anything that is important to you to leave your money to a good charity or whatnot? Um, they'll be able to, in a holistic fashion, not only put your wishes down and just say, oh, I want to be buried and I want to have a funeral mass and I want to be buried at the cemetery, they'll be able to set that in stone so that it cannot legally be changed. And um, the main thing to make it um, irrevocable and not able to be changed is to have that prepaid irrevocable funeral agreement, but also to have a morality um, trustee or morality clause within your will. Of course, some states are contesting morality clauses for different things, but I would hope that at least with for morality clauses in regards to your final disposition rights, that those will continue to be protected for now. <laughs> so that's something that I'm specifically working on with families is prearranging your funeral services and getting them in connection with a good Catholic estate planning lawyer and um making sure they have a designee that is a practicing Catholic or at least someone who really truly is there for them to value what they want, um, regardless of their own beliefs. Hmm. Sad to have to talk about these things, but it's uh, obviously a reality that uh, is affecting people nowadays. Um, wanted to ask you too about your work during COVID. 
What happened mm-hmm. during COVID as a funeral director? What did you see go on? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so when COVID first came on the scene, um, and or at least on our scene in the East Coast, if we were in March of 2020, um, we didn't really know what to expect like everyone else. So we were kind of all hands on deck, ready to go. Um, we, at least in Virginia and DC area, we had a couple of spikes, so to speak, but we didn't have the floodgates that some people talked about in New York and California. Um, so it was kind of an interesting experience because people would be asking me regularly, like, are you just swamped? Like what's going on over there? Um, but once we found out that COVID wasn't transmittable from a deceased person, which was pretty early on, um, I wasn't really completely sure why we were as concerned as we were sometimes. Um, I'm blessed to work for a company that, um, does not require the vaccine. They were, um, once they knew that masks weren't that helpful, um, they didn't really uphold that. So I, I really had the best experience I possibly could as far as COVID goes in the workplace. Um, but really March of 2020, August of 2020, um, I'm, I don't want to speak wrong here, but I, I think there were only two other months in 2021 where we had a so-called spike. But to be completely honest, um, the spikes that we saw in death numbers, if you track them and what they were and categorize them, yes, we had some people that were um, supposedly COVID deaths. I had a number of those um, where the family said, my, I was never told my loved one had COVID. And I went back to the doctors and asked about that. And a couple of them changed the cause of death for me to whatever it actually was. So I was I was very blessed in that area as well. I had a number of families that, that I was able to do that for, I think at least six. And then um, some of them just brushed it off and said, well, maybe they did. I don't know. They were in a nursing home. So it's quite possible. But we had we did have those experiences. And then um, the, the spikes in the deaths, if you looked at them and we looked at all the causes of death, because we do send in a report to the health department at the end of every month with those. And you look at that report, the spikes were um, miscarriages, heart attacks. Um, we did have a lot of pneumonia cases and um, random people who committed suicide. So the spikes weren't actually the deaths that we would have thought were causing the spike. So the spike months we had were just a giant hodgepodge of other things. They weren't just COVID deaths. So. That was interesting. And um, I actually talked to some of my colleagues about that. Like, what do you what do you think about that? Isn't it strange that we've had dozens of babies pass away recently? And even they couldn't deny that and said, like, that, yeah, this is really weird. Like, we've been funeral directors for almost 30 years, never seen a month like this where we've had hmm. almost a, a baby for each day of the month. Like, that was a reality for a couple months in 2020 and 2021. It's definitely slowed down. Um, but the spike months we had had lots of heart attacks, lots of strokes, lots of pneumonia, and lots of miscarriages. So Very I don't think that the- one <laughs> of the things I meant to I meant to ask you was, and I don't know if you've been involved directly in this, but during this whole thing, particularly as the vaccinations got going, there were reports from embalmers all over the place uh, regarding mm-hmm. clotting. I don't know if you came across any of that. 
Yeah, no, I had a lot of people come up to me about that as well. So I, I am a licensed embalmer. Um, I kind of transitioned away from that in 2019. So unfortunately, I wasn't a, a heavily involved in that side of things. Um, a couple of my colleagues who are kind of on the same page as me, I went to them and asked them, what are you seeing? Like, what's going on? And they were very frank with me that normally when you embalm someone, you only have to have the head and the feet at a slight angle, feet being maybe five inches lower where, than where the head is at on the embalming table. And that's for natural reasons, gravity to be able to let water and everything that we're doing to cleanse the body go down into a drain. And um, one person specifically told me that they actually had to almost stand a person up, like buckle them into the table and almost stand them up just to get clots out and that they mm. thought that was very unusual and we are on the same page on most things so I ended up going to another source for another funeral director that I'm close with but we're not necessarily on the same page with things and they also said that they'd had very odd clots and that um, they were all kinds of textures that we weren't used to. And I, I was an embalmer for four years. So I was able to really discuss with them like, well, were they sinewy? Were they like coffee grounds? Were they really long? And we were kind of um, just having a a trade conversation about like, mm -hmm. yeah, remember the time we had, I had one that came out that was three inches long and they were saying, oh no, like I'm having 12 inch long clots. So we were kind of just having a trade conversation like we would have had when I was an embalmer and kind of asking for tips and tricks essentially. And they were saying, no, there, there is something different about the issues that I'm dealing with. So I can't say I've seen it firsthand, but I was able to go to people that I trust and ask them um, what their experiences have been when people were asking me about it. Hmm. That's amazing corrobor corroboratory ev evidence for us because that's it's one of the things. I mean, you see everything on the internet and you're like, mm, he looks believable. I don't know what to believe anymore, you know, because there's so much yeah. doubt out there. So thank you. Thank you for that. Um, is there something you can tell us? I, I don't know if you... you know it at all, but have you experienced uh, a difference from a, a funeral done in a more traditional sort of uh, rite, traditional Catholic rite versus a, a Novus Ordo rite? Have you noticed any differences that way? That is a great question. Um, so I've had the honor of doing two pretty incredible traditional Latin rite funerals that, I mean, I was really excited about them because from beginning to end, they were everything that I would ever want my own funeral to be. They had an in-home wake. Um, they had zoned their property for a burial on their property, which I was able to help them get someone to clear out the property and get someone from the health department to come out and zone the property so they could be buried there. Um, they had a beautiful black pall. They had all black vestments. They had a beautiful um, scola. Everything was just beautiful. And it was a very emotional thing for me. And I would think it was an emotional thing for other people um, to be there because it was just so beautiful. Um, it was an all night wake, candle lit, people were having wine. Um, there was this sense of true reverence for the person who passed away, um, but also just this sense of really celebrating who they were, their legacy that they left behind, that the person had actually... Um, had a conversion on their deathbed. So it was a really neat thing for the family because they really wanted this 
for them and they actually converted right before they passed away and had last rites. So um, it was just, it was, it really was like a true celebration. <laughs> um, and then this beautiful reverence for the mortality and um, the rights that we've been known for as Christians since Christ died, because before we were known as Christians, we were known as a burial society. So this really is a keystone of our faith that we really have to protect. So seeing the Latin right is always amazing and I do love it and it's beautiful. And I also had the honor of taking care of two children who passed away very tragically and they were able to receive not only the Latin rite, but the Latin rite of the Holy Innocence, which is a whole superpower mass in itself. Um, so being involved in that and seeing that was really in some ways just kind of a historical moment because it was kind of at the cusp of things maybe um, becoming more unavailable, I guess is the best way of putting it. Um, but I do think that the Latin mass has a intrinsic power that is palpable and um, it's beautiful and it's ordered. And those are all things that are slowly becoming more and more difficult to come into contact with in our society. So absolutely the Latin mass is in, in many ways more powerful for funeral rite than any other. And I'm sure that it has spiritual effects for the soul of the person who's passed away, protecting them from any kind of um, demonic presences amongst um, their fight essentially for to leave purgatory and enter heaven. So I think that that's a beautiful opportunity if anyone can do that for their loved one. Um, as far as the Novus Ordo Mass goes, um, it really depends on the priest and the congregation. I mean, I've seen some funeral masses that are just really sad because nobody goes up to communion and the priest kind of is just awkwardly standing there waiting to see what's going to happen and the eulogies are a little shaky which there's nothing wrong with not necessarily knowing what to say when someone's passed that's a normal reaction but just this kind of timidity of mortality it's like people just don't want to face anything about it so it can be very sad because a lot of times the Novus Ordo mass um, I found a lot of people are not necessarily as um, ardent in their belief of the resurrection and their their feelings of hope. So um, I don't want to dissuade people from a Nova Sordo funeral mass because I've definitely had them where the families are very ardent and the priest gives an incredible homily and the organist and the soloist do a beautiful job and, and those experiences do happen. I think that the key to that is um, while we're in a time where maybe we can't have a Latin rite funeral mass as commonly as we can, the Novus Ordo, um, I think participation as lay people can make all the difference. Um, the corporal work of mercy of burying the dead and the spiritual work of mercy of praying for the dead um, go hand in hand when you attend a funeral mass and maybe you of course are there present praying for the deceased but you can act as a pallbearer um, little baby girls can throw flower petals in front of the casket as they walk to the graveside to participate at a young age and learning how to pray and participate in burying the dead um, you can have people singing as you process out of the church to the hearse and then at the cemetery site I encourage families to write letters to their loved one, maybe forgiving them for something that they've been harboring, some kind of angst against them, or just saying how much they're going to miss them at whatever event they were looking forward to, um, being present with them and putting that in the casket with them or cremating it with them or whatever it is they're doing. 
and just kind of um, releasing any soul ties that they have that are negative with the person, but also strengthening the ones that are good. So I think participation of the lay people in funeral rites is really what's missing and what's going to help reawaken um, Catholic funeral rites, which really need to make a comeback. <laughs> um, if I ever got a chance to talk to Pope Francis about something, that would definitely be the first thing I talk about, because I think that if we can change um, the culture of death to a culture of life, I think that facing mortality in a healthy way is really where we need to start, because then we'll be able to identify what life is and the value of life and be able to live it well so that we can die well. Absolutely beautiful. You know, one last thing I wanted to ask you about, and that was just the the idea you you had mentioned there the um that cr the christians were known as the burial people uh, explain that a little bit more but also the the concept of sacred ground yeah so um historically um it was unusual when christ died to be buried um mainly because it was expensive not everyone could afford a cave. <laughs> and the reality is that um, burying deep enough was very difficult because um, it, the ground is hard there. It's, it, they didn't have the proper equipment and burying meant that they had to make sure that animals weren't going to get to their loved ones' bodies. That's just practical information. And so the Romans and other people um, that weren't Christian or Jewish at the time were doing other things like water burial or, um, pyres or other things so it became very well known that these crazy people were always burying their dead no matter what it meant that they had to do to make it happen and so they became known as a burial society before they became known as followers of christ because that's what people identified them as was these people that always buried their dead and that they had um some traditions that came with them from their Jewish backgrounds and they followed some rites of the old Testament, but they were incorporating this, um, hope that Christ had brought from the resurrection and burying their dead and, um, assuming that there would be a resurrection and that this wasn't the end and respecting their dead in a way that made their bodies sacred. So they, um, became well known for that. And as far as, um, sacred ground goes, um, of course, it is preferable to be able to be buried in a Catholic cemetery that has been blessed and consecrated. Unfortunately, a lot of dioceses either have their cemeteries completely full or there just simply isn't one. Um, so a lot of cemeteries nowadays have a Catholic section, mm -hmm. which as long as the cemetery is not designated under a particular title that would go against our teachings completely like um, just as an example, maybe a Wiccan cemetery that's specifically dedicated to nature or something like that. There's no reason why you can't be buried in a cemetery um, that has a Catholic section or you can have your plot or grave specifically dedicated um, to Christ by a priest. So um, I do have options for families for that. But my personal favorite option for consecrated ground, if you don't have a diocesan Catholic cemetery, is to maybe go in with a family and continue that tradition of being a burial society and buying a piece of land in a rural area and having it deeded as a private nonprofit cemetery where you and maybe five other families um, put together a family cemetery. And that's not very hard to do if you're in a rural area or have access to a rural area within an hour or so. 
Um, you simply would buy the property, go to your local health health department and deed it as a private nonprofit cemetery. Um, make sure all the family's names are on there. And one acre of land will easily allow for up to 250 people to be buried there. A lot of acres of land, at least in this area, um, one acre of land could be $13,000, not too far from Northern Virginia. Um, one plot in Northern Virginia is $13,000 typically at, at the wow. least. <laughs> so you could bury 250 people um, or you could bury one. And that to me is a huge difference. So burial could be very affordable with conversations being had with family and um, getting that land consecrated by a priest. Um, and hopefully that land would be there as a symbol of our Christian burial practices, but also for the genealogy of families to be able to remember and honor the people that came before them and remember their heritage as people that thought this was important enough to bury their loved ones and hopefully be assigned to them to continue to honor their dead as they begin their own families. So I think if we um, start having these conversations, even with children and make it a normal practice to bring your children to wakes and funerals and talk about mortality and the value of life that these things will slowly become more important and I truly believe that cremation is going to go down um I think that COVID was the step towards that um because a lot of people have realized that Scientifically, we identify shapes as humans. Babies learn to see squares and circles and triangles, and they can identify them. And we as adults, we identify shapes of people and objects and different things and identify them. But when you haven't seen your parent in months, and then you're not allowed to say goodbye to them dying in hospital, and then you're handed their urn, identifying that that is your parent is very difficult because you can't associate that that shape is your parent. It's just not the way our brains are wired. And so I think that as we've suffered so much loss um, because we weren't allowed to be with them or whatever the case was, we're going to start seeing a decline in cremation. And I've seen a lot of Catholics already start to identify that this is an issue and I'm hoping it'll continue <laughs> to go that way. So bringing back the beauty of the Catholic funeral rites, I think will really help with the culture of death becoming a culture of life and um, the healing process in America. Beautiful. Antonia Cummings, thank you for this very different ministry that I don't think many people would think of as a ministry, particularly not for uh, young Catholic women like yourself. And uh, amazing the love and care you show for the, you know, taking care of people, everyone's loved ones and uh, their final journey. God bless you. Well, thank you. God bless you. And thank you for everything that you're doing. Um, the fight goes on. <laughs> but everyone has their, their part, for sure. Awesome, Antonio. Thank you again. God bless you. And God bless all of you. And we'll see you next time. Hi, everyone. This is John Henry Weston. We hope you enjoyed this program. To see more like it, be sure to hit the subscribe button below to get all the latest content from LifeSite News. Check the links in the description to read more and connect.